Hello and welcome to The Hannah Hundle Show. I'm your host, Hannah Hundle, and The Hannah Hundle Show is a syndicated program. Here on The Hannah Hundle Show, we feature the world's foremost experts for groundbreaking discussion within their respective fields, spanning medicine, science, technology, business, politics, policy, law, and more. Join me, your host, Hannah Hundle, on a mission to unpack and understand how contemporary high-impact issues are being tackled by the world's most influential leaders. For today's episode, I'm happy to bring you an installment in our 2020 U.S. presidential series as we have an interview with Democratic candidate John Delaney, the former representative from Maryland's 6th District. Representative Delaney has described himself as, quote, a solutions-oriented moderate who wants to get things done, and as, quote, probably the most centrist candidate among the Democratic contenders. We're going to be covering a number of policy issues today, so please join me now in welcoming to the program Representative Delaney. So, Representative Delaney, you've very recently launched your Heartland Startup Tour. So I want to begin by talking about your early background in business and how that relates to your self-described centricism on a number of issues. What insight does your business background give you in this respect? Well, I think it gives me tremendous insight into to one very important part of our economic challenges right now, and that is that businesses really aren't getting started in a lot of communities around this country. And so there's a lack, lack of kind of that important economic dynamic that's needed whereby businesses get started and they can grow and flourish and create jobs and continue to regenerate communities. That's not happening right now in many, many communities around this country. In fact, most of the jobs are concentrated in a handful of places. So that's a, a real problem this country has. And as someone who started two businesses from scratch and created thousands of jobs, but who importantly also spent my career uh, lending money to small to mid-sized businesses, because that's what my companies did. They were effectively like a bank that specialized in lending money to businesses all over the country. And I made loans to 5,000 small businesses around the United States over 20 years. So I really understand the dynamic that's needed to create entrepreneurship and to encourage the growth of small to mid-sized businesses. And so that's something that I uniquely, no one else running for president has anything like that. Uh, or I don't think anyone ever has who's ever even been the president. So I'm going to kind of be the startup and small to mid-sized business president in many ways. And so you've launched the Heartland Startup Tour and there's been a lot of talk about how to reinvigorate the economies of the American heartland and infuse them with the fruits of innovation that are currently more localized to the coast. In light of that, can you talk about why you think the jobs eliminated from automation are not currently being replaced with jobs created from innovation in this region of the country? Well, because what's happened is we've transitioned to more of the innovation economy, which we have. As you pointed out, uh, those jobs have been created largely in the big cities. And it's been created because the big cities have not only the kind of environment that is attractive to young people, but because there's entrepreneurial ecosystems in these cities where what happens is you have a successful company and, you know, it, it, it grows, gets sold or goes public and 10 of its executives leave and start another business. They typically do it, you know, where they live, 
uh, and it just creates a very kind of a virtuous cycle for a handful of big cities, but not for other countries, not for other parts of the country. So what we got to do is we got to create real incentives. And and some extent, incentives already exist. I mean, the cost of living is really high in a lot of cities, uh, and it's much, much, much lower in rural America. We've got to make sure the educational infrastructure exists to train people with the skills they need uh, to, to engage in the modern economy. We've got to make sure these communities have the right infrastructure, particularly communications infrastructure, things like rural broadband and those kind of things, which we're not seeing all over this country. Uh, and then I, I actually believe we need to create positive incentives for people to invest in these communities. So that's why I led the Opportunity Zone legislation in the Congress. <laughs> that's why I've called for, as president, to require 25% of the government contractors in this country have half of their employees in distressed communities uh, as a requirement for a government contract. Because I think as taxpayers, we want to make sure these businesses are located in every community in this country. So we need real incentives. Uh, we need uh, private and public capital flow. We need education. And I think if you create that stuff, uh, then the, the natural advantages that uh, a lot of the heartland has, which is lower cost of living and really nice communities with, with really good, patriotic, hardworking Americans. I think it'll be like kind of <clears throat> lighting the match that ignites a lot of growth in these communities. With regard to health care, I understand that you are for universal health care, but against gutting private insurance, as some of the other candidates have suggested doing. Why is that? And can you describe to me what you see as being at stake here if we eliminate private insurance? So to me, it's it's actually really pretty simple. Like, and there's two camps, and I think they they both they basically have it wrong on healthcare, which is I agree with with like Senator Sanders and Senator Warren, who are calling for universal healthcare because I think we should have universal healthcare. And by universal healthcare, I mean that every American gets uh, federal healthcare coverage as a right of citizenship. I just don't believe in their proposal to put in place what's called a single payer universal health care system, which means not only is there a universal health care system from the government, but by law, that's the only one that's allowed. And that's what they're advocating for. And in fact, very few countries around the world actually have that kind of a rigid system. Most of them that have universal health care system have mixed models, like I'm proposing, where you get a basic federal plan as a right but you can opt out, get private insurance, you can get private insurance supplementals, et cetera. And so that's the plan that I'm proposing. And some of the people running, I quite frankly, don't go far enough. You know, they're calling for public options, which are perfectly good policy, but they really don't get at the problem uh, in our healthcare system right now. So I think we've got a situation where, you know, you got one side who's got the right goal, but the way they go about getting it is wrong. And the reason it's wrong is, is pretty simple. One, the American people like choices. Half of the American people have private insurance now. A lot of them like it. Why are we making that illegal? That's a stupid idea. And the other problem is, you know, government health care has never been shown to pay enough. So if the government were the only people paying the bills, then a lot of hospitals and stuff would close because their government reimbursement rates are too low. So that's, that's what I think is at stake. Related to healthcare, you also have a plan for combating the opioid epidemic that addresses both prevention and treatment. You know, very recently, there's been a settlement between two counties in Ohio and an opioid manufacturer and drug distributors. 
In light of that, I'm curious, do you believe in specifically holding Big Pharma accountable for the opioid epidemic? Yes, I do. I think they're absolutely at fault. I think they should be held financially accountable. And I think executives who were aware of what was going on uh, and turned a blind eye to it for, because of their own financial self-interest should be held personally accountable. So, yes, I think there needs to be very strong accountability. And it's not just financial. I think there needs to be criminal investigations into executives. Because, mm-hmm. you know, unless you do that, you don't actually change behavior going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Like, unless sure. people think they can go to jail based on what they did, then they're not going to, if they think they can just get away with paying fines, it's not really going to change things. You've been a critic at times of the DNC. Recently, you've been tweeting about a, quote, social media primary that you see the DNC as trying to create. Can you elaborate on what the problem is as you see it with the DNC right now? And where is it stemming from? Well, because it's based on uh, its main piece of it, if you will, is a carbon fee and dividend proposal where you put a price on carbon which makes fossil fuels much less attractive and they'll get used a lot less. And then you take all the money that's raised from that fee and you give it back to the American people and a dividend. That proposal I introduced on a bipartisan basis in the Congress, which means Democrats and Republicans under my leadership came together and agreed on it. So that tells me like right away that I can get this done. And so I think what's important on climate change is that we actually get something done. And then we just stop talking about it. So that's a that's a big part of my plan. And no one else has any has a climate plan that's at all based on any kind of a bipartisan proposal. The second thing is I make a huge bet on American innovation, meaning I think the only way we actually solve this problem here and around the world is by innovating new technologies. And um, you know, particularly globally, right? Because there's there's parts of the world, the developing world. It's going to have billions of human beings come out of poverty in the next several decades, which is a great thing. But all of those people are going to need more energy. And these countries are not going to deny them energy. And the only energy sources they have now are are basically fossil fuels. So we have to give them new energy solutions. And so, you know, part of my solution is just big, big bets on innovation. I've got a whole bunch of innovative ideas and huge funding. In many ways, the greatest funding of innovation and basic research in this country's history since the space program. So that's also a big, and and I think that's also a bipartisan idea, you know, betting on the U S innovation economy, everyone agrees is a good bet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and finally, I wanted to ask you about some of your your recent criticism about the DNC. Uh, You've been tweeting about a quote, social media primary that you see the DNC as trying to create. Can you briefly elaborate on what the problem is as you you see it with the DNC right now and where is it coming from? Well, I don't know where it's coming from. And there's an irony to it, right? Because a lot of the candidates are complaining about Facebook. And there's a lot of stuff going on right now about Facebook and political speech. Mm -hmm. Yet the DNC effectively encouraged all the candidates to spend all their money on Facebook ads because they put this donor requirement in, in place, meaning to be on the debate stage, you need a certain amount of donors. And the only way to get those donors is through social media campaigns. And so I think that was that's really kind of crazy if you think about it, that we're complaining about Facebook, yet we're creating an incentive for our candidates to effectively run their campaigns on Facebook. So that I find kind of ironic and ridiculous. But I also think 
you know, if you require a certain number of donors to be on the debate stage, you have to ask yourself, what incentive does that create? And clearly, if you talk to anyone who does this for a living, they'll tell you that the way you may raise money online is with kind of a more extreme message. So solutions don't really sell online, but, you know, really hard partisanship does. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that's what the Democratic Party or the country needs right now. I think we need a party that's going to unify us, that's going to capture the center, that's going to start solving problems. So why are we um, why are we encouraging the candidates to basically run on things that are very different than that, very divisive issues, very extreme issues? Uh, and I just think that this – I hope this, that we don't regret this in the general election where we put forth a candidate who had to spend the whole primary um, engaging in kind of online partisan warfare, and that's a liability for them in the general election. And that was an interview with 2020 Democratic presidential candidate, Representative John Delaney. I really valued today's conversation, and I hope you found it informative, too. You've been listening to The Hannah Hundle Show. I'm your host, Hannah Hundle, and I thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.